Perhaps you've been in a situation before where something big happened or uh, something maybe even a little dangerous happened and you get back and you get back with your friends and your family and they ask, how did it go? And you, maybe it's a job interview you had or a marriage proposal or something else and people want to know, how did it go? Well, we see in today's passage that There is essentially this question that the apostles get. How did it go? You may remember from last week that Peter and John stood before the important Jewish leaders. And they were being questioned about the healing of a disabled man and about their speaking in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you may recall that that meeting ended with the leaders telling Peter and John not to speak in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said that they cannot help but speak about what they have seen and heard. Well, in today's passage, the rest of the disciples will hear about what happened. And we'll get to hear about how they responded to what they heard. So, while we hear about what happens, we will see the great traits of the early church. The great traits of the early church. So, let's pray together and ask God to miraculously, by the power of His Holy Spirit, speak through His Word to His church this morning. Join me now in prayer. God, we are grateful that we can gather here in the name of Jesus to hear from You. God, I pray that You will speak through the power of Your Word. We thank You that Your Holy Spirit inspired, in this case, Luke, to write the book of Acts so that we could hear about the early church and what you did through your people and understand what you can still do through your people today. So we thank you that you spoke through Luke and we pray now that you speak once again. Lord, teach us, enlighten us, convict us, encourage us, challenge us, comfort us by the power of your word spoken to us through the Bible. Lord, we pray your blessings upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last night, my family and I went to celebrate a milestone birthday for my mom. Many of you know my mom. She's usually down here every week. And I was also so grateful that my brother was able to go as well. He's in town this week as well. Uh, He's in town for a few days. But we went to this wonderful Italian restaurant in Lakeland. If you'd like to know the restaurant, I can tell you later. But we just had a wonderful experience. Now, some of the traits that made this restaurant great One was the great food. It was all good. Everything that everybody ate was good. And that's not always, it's not always easy to make people happy. (laughs) But we were all happy. Also, one of the things that's very rare these days, we had great service. I was just over the moon about how great this server was. This gave us great service. And also, as with any good Italian restaurant, we had huge portions. (laughs) There's lots of food. These were three traits that made this time a wonderful time of celebration as we got to celebrate my mom. Those traits that I mentioned made the great dining experience. Well, today we're going to notice three great traits of the early church. And we're going to see it in this passage. We're going to see what made them a God-filled, God-glorifying force that they were. So first, if you're taking notes, you can find your notes in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, you can write them down or just remember them really well. First point we see here is that they had great faith. 
the early church had great faith. Let's look at the passage now. I've teased you several times that we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. Well, let's actually do it. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, and I'll read through verse 30. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The king of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For, in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We'll stop there for now and pick it up in just a moment. So let's try to wrap our heads around what's going on here. There's a lot Sometimes in the book of Acts, we cover a lot of verses at, at one time because it's written as narrative, meaning it's a story about what actually happened. So we usually cover a lot at one time. So let's try to wrap our heads around this. So we see that Peter and John report back to the other disciples, Christian Standard Bible says, to their own people. That doesn't mean the Jewish people because remember, they just left the Jewish leadership. They're talking about their own people in a more intimate sense, meaning those who are close to them, the disciples. So they go back to the other disciples, and we see in verse 24, it says, when they heard this. The, the they, in verse 24, is the other disciples. Peter and John already knew what happened. The they is the other disciples. They heard what Peter and John said. The this, in verse 24, is the news about what happened to Peter and John. The this was essentially the answer to the question, how did it go? So we notice that they, we notice what they did when they got this information. Verse 24 says again, they raised their voices together to God. So when the other disciples got the information from Peter and John, all the disciples together raised their voices together to God. This was the reaction of the disciples to what happened to Peter and John, which, by the way, included threats that they should never speak again about the name of Jesus. They, was to, they raised their voices to God. Now, why would they do that? Why would they raise their voices in celebration and prayer and response to God because of the news they received? It's because they had great faith in the one true living God of the universe. They had great faith. We see the great faith of the disciples because they acknowledged all that they say in verses 25 through 30, we read that already, but just listen, I, I've got this on the screen for you. Just a few of the elements of, these, of what they say in these verses. First of all, they acknowledge that God is master. They acknowledge that God made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. They acknowledge that God spoke prophecies about what would happen to the Messiah. In fact, uh, we see that this prophecy is in verses 25 and 26 in your passage, which is actually they're quoting 
all the way back to Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. They're saying what you prophesied through David, King David, the psalmist, is actually what happened to Jesus. So they, they're making a connection here for us. We also see that they recognize that what had happened to Jesus is a fulfillment of that prophecy, Psalm chapter 2. They acknowledge that they see God's plans unfolding in their day and time. They acknowledge that God's will and ways have been predestined. They acknowledge that they need God to empower them to speak with boldness. And they acknowledge that God is the one who brings healing, signs, and wonders. I mean, that's just, I could do a whole sermon on that little section there. I'm not going to. But that's just a little bit we see of all the things they acknowledge about what God is doing in their day and time. You see, the disciples at that time, they knew there was a God, and they knew that he was in control of all things. And they also knew that they needed him. They had great faith. I also, I find it interesting, as I read this passage, as I studied it time again, I find it interesting how the disciples prayed regarding those who opposed Peter and John. If you don't pay attention, you can almost miss it. They didn't pray a strong prayer of condemnation against them. They didn't pray that fire would come down from heaven and take out their enemies. That's been prayed before, but that's not what they prayed here. They simply prayed these words. Look at verse 29 again. It says, And now, Lord, consider their threats. Some translations might say, uh, Hear their words or hear their threats. They're just saying, it's like they just want to say, God, we just want you to keep an eye on this, that this happened. Because <laughs> we, we know that you are in control. You see, it seems because their faith was so great in the power of God and the will of God and the sovereignty of God over all things that they could essentially just say to God, hey, don't forget about those guys that threatened us. I mean, they know he didn't forget about it, but it's like they just wanted to say a little something. Like, God, we just, as we're praying, remember those people. You see, they trusted that God was with them. They trusted that God would work all things out. They had great faith. As I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but wonder about our faith. As individuals, myself included, and as a church, what about our faith? I mean, we think about all the craziness that is happening around us. In fact, I had a, a pastor acquaintance who asked a question this week. He said, hey, what are you doing to prepare your church for the craziness that may ensue in 2024? I was like, just look at the last four years. I think we're prepared. <laughs> we have gone through some craziness. Now, now we, one thing we should have learned by now, we can't predict what's going to happen in 2024. But I wonder about our faith that no matter what is happening around us, I mean, these disciples are being threatened by the most powerful people in their land to never speak about Jesus again. And here they are praising the Lord. What about our faith? Do we have faith that God is in control of all of creation? Do we have faith that God is sovereign over all that his will and that his hand has predestined to take place? Do we have faith that God can be with us when we face difficulties, persecutions, or threats 
as these disciples did in that day. Do the disciples of 2024 here at First Baptist Bartow, do we have faith that God can use us to do wonders by his power? Do we have great faith? Second, we see among the early disciples great power. Great power. Now, great power is certainly nothing new at this point in the book of Acts. If you're, if you're new to our church, you're just visiting today, and you, maybe you've not read the first three and a half chapters of the book of Acts, there's a lot going on there that demonstrates great power. So it's not new to us here. However, we see it again in today's passage. Let's pick it up at, at verse 29. We've already read 29 and 30, but we can read it again, and we'll read through verse 31. So look at verse 29. It says, And now, Lord... Consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Notice here that the, the disciples anticipated an occurrence of healings Signs and wonders performed through the name of Jesus. These healing signs and wonders had already been happening, and they expected that they would continue to happen, and they would continue to happen only by the power in the hand of God. These healing signs and wonders were, were from the power of the Holy Spirit, and they had been told by Jesus, and they anticipated that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, as Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, and as it would happen, we see in this passage that there was yet another magnificent manifestation of the power of God. This is, again, one of those things we could easily miss if we just read the passage through quickly. Look again at verse 31. It says, when they prayed, the place they, where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. We ought not overlook this miracle. Luke, the author of Acts, don't forget, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And Luke chose not to go into detail here, but if you're paying attention, this sounds very much like what the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them as a great power and a great force filled the room where they were gathered. The place was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and they boldly spoke the Word of God. I kind of feel like this is Pastor Matt talking here. This is not Luke. This is not the Bible. But I kind of feel like Luke's saying, you know, like, like what I said before. This is kind of happening again. You know, it's like Luke's saying, you guys already know what I'm talking about, right? And so we see this great power this day among the early church as they are gathered together hearing about the report, how did it go? from Peter and John. This is a beautiful display of the power of God. I want to see some great power in our church. I want to see God do wonders through our church. And I don't want to take away from anything God has already done. God's done great things through our church. But 2024, I want to see some more power from the Holy Spirit of God in our church to see him do great things. And I hope you do as well. Finally, we see in this passage great generosity. Great generosity. You've heard about that before as well. Look at verse 32, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. 
Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all who, had, who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, we'll stop there for now. We'll pick it up in verse five, Lord, or chapter 5, Lord willing, next week. But to many of you, this passage may seem very similar to what we read and studied in Acts chapter 2. And the reason why it seems similar is because it is very similar to what we read and studied at the end of chapter 2. After all, these are the same people gathering in the same area around the same time. And once again, we see a gathering of Christian brothers and sisters who are tremendously generous toward one another. We see great generosity. Now, I'm well aware not all of you are here every Sunday, and some of you may not have been here for that sermon, so you might wonder what's going on. Well, as a matter of review, the type of giving that we see here in this passage is not communism. Okay, this is voluntary. This is not forced upon the people. This is voluntary sacrifice and devotion to one another because of the bond that is shared in the name of Jesus. Now, if you'd like more detail on that, I just encourage you to go back to my sermon from November 12th. It's called The Family Life of the Early Church. You can find it very easily on our website. If you can't find it on our website, just let any of our pastors know. We'll get it for you. We'll be glad to email it to you or print it out and deliver it to you. Okay? But go back and, and learn more about this. I go into a lot more detail in that November 12th sermon, The Family Life of the Early Church. By the way, I don't want us to skip over the mention of great power, again, in verse 33. It says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. I was trying to make the sermon include great grace as one of the points. Uh, you can just write that down if you want. Point number four, great grace, okay? But uh, we see great power and great grace because we, we see this as point number two with great power, but we've got to mention it here. It's mentioned exactly by name. There was great power again in the early church. But now let's go back to great generosity. Luke does something special here at the end of this passage, at the end of this chapter. He gives us an actual example of someone who sacrificed for the cause of the church. He gives us a name, actually two names. This person he speaks about is a special person. One person, but two names. Look again at verses 36 and 37. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. We see this man named Joseph. He was extremely sacrificial for the cause of the church. He owned this field, he sold it, and he gave the proceeds to the apostles, the leaders of the church at that time. He gave them the money to be used for the work of the church. 
This man, Joseph, is a real-life example of the sacrifice and the, and the generosity that Luke had mentioned not only here, but also back in chapter 2. Now we have to ask ourselves, or, or I felt like I had to ask myself, why would Luke single out this man? Well, we should pay attention to the nickname this guy had. He was called Barnabas. Barnabas is someone that we'll hear a lot about as we journey through the book of Acts. And this is where we're introduced to Barnabas. And what a wonderful nickname to be called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Wouldn't you love to be called a son or daughter of encouragement? I would love for y'all to be that too, to be uh, encouraging people. That'd be great. So that's a little joke for those. Some of you are already encouraging. We're so grateful for that. Uh, but this is someone that Luke would talk a lot about as, as we journey through the book of Acts. By the way, also pay attention. I'll come back to this, but pay attention to as you read ahead. I hope you read ahead to what happens in chapter 5. We'll, we'll see in chapter 5 to contrast that with what we see with, with Barnabas here in chapter 4. We'll, we'll look at that more next time. But it, it, we see that Barnabas, as well as other members of the early church, showed great generosity. In the early church, we see great faith, we see great power, and we see great generosity. Here's the bottom line I'd like to, to use to summarize all that, that God is teaching us today. Our great God can do great things in his church. Our great God can do great things in his church. How did the early church respond to two of their most important Leaders being threatened, they thanked God for his sovereign control over all things, and they asked God to bless them as they continue to minister in the name of Jesus. So what about us, church? What will be our response in 2024 and beyond? Well, we thank God for his sovereign will and his hand in all things. You know, I think sometimes we recognize or we act as if when something happens, God is caught off guard by it. That was not the posture of the apostles. They were never concerned whether God could handle what was happening in their lives. Do we have that same faith, that same understanding of who God is? Will we ask God for his power and his blessing in our lives and in our church? Will we trust his work in our church and in the world? Will we be faithful to the mission to which he's called us? The apostles and the early disciples, they knew what Christ wanted them to do. It's not hard for us to know what he wants us to do as well. The question is, will we be faithful? to what he's called us to do? Will we be sacrificial and generous towards one another, towards the work that is before us? Do we truly believe that our great God can do great things in our church? As we prepare to come to the end of this time, which I'm quickly realizing is a shorter sermon, this is not how it's going to be for all of 2024, by the way. <laughs> Let us challenge ourselves with two 
weekly challenges. Weekly challenge number one, consider the sovereign hand of God. Consider the sovereign hand of God. I've used that word sovereign a few times, and I'm well aware that not all of us know what that means. And not all of us, I dare say most of us, don't use that word very often. To say that God is sovereign means that he is king over everything. He is king over everything in, in terms both of authority and power. I like to give simple definitions. So it means God is king over everything, both in terms of authority and power. He has the right and the ability to do whatever he wants in all of creation. He is sovereign. So this week, consider the sovereign hand of God. Do you believe, as the disciples did, that God is master and he created everything? Do you believe, as the disciples did, that God does whatever his hand and will have predestined to do? The reality is some people are uncomfortable with that word predestined. Let me just tell you, I didn't put that in the Bible. Okay? That was the Holy Spirit of God that put that there. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? So if you're uncomfortable with that, wrestle with that a little bit. Why? Why are you uncomfortable with that? Why are you uncomfortable with the fact that God is in control over all things and knows the beginning from the end and is working out his will in all of creation? I would say that should bring you comfort. I'm so glad I'm not in control. And I'm so glad that you are not in control. (laughs) So take some time this week and consider the sovereign hand of God. Weekly challenge number two, commit to being an Acts 4 Christian. Commit to being an Acts 4 Christian. Christian. That would also include what we studied last week. All of Acts chapter 4, we see the boldness of Peter and John, their commitment to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only name given under heaven by which people can be saved. It includes all that and also includes today's passage. In Acts chapter 4, we see great faith, we see great power, we see great generosity, and more. So as we come to a conclusion and all your notes are filled in, Consider that this, this week, consider these things. Are you willing to commit to being this type of Christian, an Acts 4 Christian? Are you willing to have greater faith? Are you willing to seek greater power? Are you willing to show greater generosity in your life? If so, accept the challenge to be an Acts 4 Christian. As we come to a conclusion, I want to challenge all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We've already given our lives to Jesus. We've been made new by Jesus, forgiving us of our sins, giving us a new heart, a new spiritual life, and prepared a home for us in heaven. For all those of you who fit in that category, challenge yourself with these weekly challenges this week. Challenge yourself to really live out this extreme form of life that is so much different from what we see in the world. And for those of you who are not in Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, you might look at this and you say, this is, in fact, as the pastor just said, a little extreme. Why would people do this? See, the reality is the Bible teaches us that when Jesus gets a hold of us, everything changes. Everything changes about us. It's a legitimate change. In fact, if you're not a Christian, and I say to you, this is what real Christianity looks like. 
I'm not saying that we have it all figured out. I'm saying what the Bible's teaching is what real Christianity looks like. It's not just about being a part of a church. It's not just about fitting in a certain socio-political category. It's not just about how you were raised. It's not just about uh, what type of neighborhood you live in or what background you're from. None of that matters when it comes to being a genuine Christian, a genuine follower of Jesus. What matters is has Jesus gotten a hold of you and changed your life? And so if you're wondering what would make people want to do this, it's because Jesus changes everything. The Bible says we need to be changed. The Bible says the best that we have to offer God is like filthy rags and his presence and his holy presence. The Bible says we have a heart of stone without Jesus. We're dead, we're blind, we're deaf. Sometimes we don't even know that we need help. But you see, the way we live in this world, the best we can do is so much less than what God has designed for us. We never realize who we could be without Jesus. Because the Bible teaches God created us to thrive and flourish and to be the prize of all of his creation. We had a unique relationship with God as human beings. But the Bible says sin came into the world through the very first people and then through every person since that time. All of us have sinned against God. What that means is we've, we've rejected God in his ways. We've rejected his love. We've rejected his laws. We've rejected his relationship with us. That's called sin. All of us have done that. Some of us don't even realize. You're like, I, don't, I don't know that I've done that. The more you read the Bible, the more you realize you've done it. Because God is perfect and holy and just and righteous. He's perfectly loving, perfectly fair, perfectly powerful. All the things that we're not. And we've not only not been that, we've actually rejected that. And the, the consequences, the payment for that is separation from God and death. Physical death that will happen to all of us unless God comes and makes all things new before that time. But also a spiritual death that separates us from God in a real place with real punishment for all eternity called hell. That's not good. But the Bible also says, I love how it brings a complete answer to all this problem that we have. The Bible says God showed or demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. As the apostles pointed out the prophecy from Psalm chapter 2, it was prophesied that Jesus, the anointed one of God, would be rejected not only by the Jewish leaders, but by the other leaders as well. All the people living in Israel at that time, they all came together and rejected the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross, but he never once sinned. The anointed one had no reason to have to die. He died so that we could escape the death penalty. He died in our place. He was our substitute to pay the penalty for sin. And the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead, demonstrating he was not just a mere man, he was also God himself. He showed power over the grave. He showed power over death. He showed power over evil. He showed power over Satan. He showed power over sin by rising to new life. And the Bible says that we can not only have our sins forgiven, which is incredible that we could have our sins forgiven, but we could also be made new and live a new life 
a one, a life that to some people might seem a little extreme because we're discovering who God really created us to be. So if you're lost in your sins and you don't know Jesus, you can turn from your sins. You can turn to Jesus and ask him to make you new. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to soften your heart, to open your eyes, to loose your deaf ears, and to see who he truly is. Commit your life to him. Admit that he is the son of God and that he is God himself and that he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He went up into heaven to live with the Father today and he is calling you to be saved from your sins. In just a moment, we're going to sing a, a song of response. It's a song for all of us who are already Christians, to take some time and reflect upon what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives this morning. To thank Him and to pray to Him and to sing and worship Him. It's a time for all of us to do that. And it's an also a time for those who are without Christ to respond and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you forgive me of my sins? I'll be standing down here singing with my family. Pastor Richard, our pastor to youth, will be down here as well. You might want to even walk uh, down these aisles and come talk to one of our pastors as we sing. We invite you and welcome you to do that. Please come down. And say, I-, I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. I need you to pray with me. I have a, some, something happening in my life or I have a spiritual question or I'm not quite sure what God's doing. I want you to pray with me. We'd love to do that. We're, we're readily available to do that. After the service is over, we're also available to do that. After Sunday is over, we're also available to do that. We put our information in the bulletin. We want you to call upon us. We want to help you. We want you to know that God loves you and has great things planned for you. And we can discover that in his word and become all who God called and created us to be. So as we sing, if God is moving in your heart, please respond to what the Lord is doing. Church, may we be Acts 4 Christians. And those of you in here who are not in Christ, today is a day of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except Jesus Christ. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing.